Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey, it's Ben here, and in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Just wanted to give a quick trigger warning at the beginning of this episode because there's some detailed descriptions of suicidal ideation and and thoughts of suicide. So if that's a delicate subject for you, I'd say to proceed with caution. Thank you. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with Doug Crow. Doug, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Glad to have you on here. And um, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe uh, a couple of humble brags so that when we get into the more negative things, you won't feel as bad because you got to brag. <laughs> We'll get to the we'll get to 19 foreclosures and suicide stuff in a minute. But first, here's a wonderful land. Um, yeah, you know, I was born a poor sharecropper son in Ohio. No, I was from Ohio. Um, went to school in Northwestern. Majored in radio, TV, and film. Spent a little bit of time on on the radio and ABC in Chicago. But really, spent most of my career in real estate. I was a developer and had a radio show on on real estate. I was an investor. A lot of fun. And then we'll get to the failure part on that. I'm a uh, instant-rated private pilot. Been to about 42 countries, all seven continents. So I love traveling. And uh, I'm just happy to be on the show to share my stuff and hopefully some nuggets of wisdom for your listeners. Perfect. Uh, I actually have a pretty intense fear of flying. So I have to like come to terms with my own death in order to even just be a passenger. So I cannot imagine what it's like being a pilot. Oh, wow. We could start, we could do some stories on that, but I probably wouldn't help you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know what will help me. I know knowing the numbers, knowing the statistics doesn't help me that much. I think it's more of just a, I'm in the sky. You know, all, all fears are learned except two. The fear of loud noises and heights, or falling technically, are the only two fears we are born with. Everything else is learned. So you learned it somewhere in your past. My really good friend, Audrey, had a fear of flying. I took her up in the plane one day, I had a small plane. We didn't last more than three minutes. She says, we got to get down right now. <laughs> fine. But she went through this course where they do these mantras to help you talk through it and it helped her quite a bit. So there's ways to get over and through it if you want to explore it, but it's. Yeah. I mean, so I used to work in real estate for a while as well, but as a financial guy and the owner had a private jet and I got to go on it and that was much more comfortable because, well, for many reasons, but also the pilots knew how to go above. It was a Citation 10 plane or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, they'd go above the clouds and no turbulence and stuff, but definitely I had some bad experiences earlier on. And that's definitely where I learned some of that fear because you can't do anything. You just got to wait yeah, till it's over. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm super interested to know how you got into that, but first I want to, I want to know, so you went to radio, you went to school for radio. What got you into real estate? Did you fit? I mean, how'd you get from radio into real estate? Yeah, it was, I was focused actually on TV, radio was not even, radio was in my curriculum, but I always focused on TV and movies. And I worked at a um, ABC station in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was a lighting director. So I was in charge of making sure lights were on, bulbs changed, filters, all that jazz. And in, in one day walked Robert Allen, the guy who wrote No Money Down. 
And I listen to his interview and go, wow, I'm you know 21 years old. This is cool. I go up to about the interview and said, Mr. Allen, I, I'd like to, you know, learn more about this real estate thing. Oh, come to my high price seminar, young man. You know, he didn't say high price, but he said, you know, he's got a $5,000 seminar. And I said, um, I make $3.10 an hour here. I can't go to that thing. And to his credit, he said, why don't you go to the library and check out my book then? And I did. And I so enjoyed it at the library. I went ahead and bought the copy for $12.50 for a hardback copy. Still have that book today. And a year, it took a year to have the courage to actually even make an offer on a property. But from that first property I bought and moving forward, I purchased, you know, hundreds of houses, apartment buildings, uh, office building. I even bought a convent once. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> imagine putting a, imagine putting a, an ad paper, looking for 12 nuns to rent my convent, right? Um, so I did the real estate for many years. I got that from TV. And then when the whole thing crashed, I got back into publishing. That took me to, to you know, radio a little bit. What do you think got you uh, motivated to do TV? Is it because you had a voice you wanted to uh, get out there or were you more behind the scenes guy? It sounds like lighting director isn't super yeah. uh, getting yourself out there, but maybe it's how you started. At, at Northwestern, um, I got exposed to a lot of people that are, some of them are famous today, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera. When I was there, I was more into photography. I loved creating visuals, right? So that's why our book covers, I'm very proud of the book covers we create because they're, they're really good. But um, I was more behind the scenes guy at school, so I enjoyed that. The flip the publishing is part of the, uh, the failure part of the, of the story, how I got, went from radio and TV into books was a different journey. Well, let's hear it. So what, what, uh, what brought you there? What or set us, set well, us up with the, how that happened? Yeah, it's a good setup. There you go. So as a real estate investor, I had purchased, you know, a lot of properties. I had, you know, part buildings. I bought a subdivision off of eBay once, uh, 16 houses in North Carolina, um, owned an office building. I was doing condo conversions, making bank. It was just a great time. And my confidence was insurmountable. Like there's no way you could tell me I'm not going to make, I'd have financial advisors call me trying to offer me like stock tips and stuff. I said, Hey, until you can make infinity on your investment, I don't want to talk to you. I'm so cocky. And when you're that high up, you know, maybe God wants to give you a little notch down. So on my third condo conversion, um, I started putting my own money into it and some of my own credit into it. And the short version is it all fell apart. And 20 years of real estate investing and equity and millions of dollars of cash and equity all evaporated in about nine months. So when people talk about, oh, I had a foreclosure, my foreclosure, please. I had 19 foreclosures, you know, bankruptcy, divorce, the, the most positive guy, right? The guy who was voted most likely to succeed in high school, you know, had a Walter PPK in his desk with a hollow point bullet in it, and it stayed there for a couple of weeks. How do how, how'd you, yeah, how'd you reconcile that? I mean, because you're, you've got ultra confidence, you know, and then struggling at the same time. I was estranged from everybody in my life. My daughters weren't talking to me. I was too embarrassed to talk to my friends. So I was, it was a very lonely time when you go down that, that hole and plenty, I'm not unique here. Plenty of people have thought about taking their life because of emotional stress. It was such severe trauma. I wouldn't have wished it upon my worst enemy. It was so debilitating. I mean, there were moments where I, you know, wake up in the middle of the night crying. It's so depressing. And was it self-isolation? Was it chosen? Or did you push people away kind of thing? It's probably pride. You know, <laughs> everything always worked for Doug. I was the golden child. Nothing ever, I never failed before my life at anything. 
and uh, everything that I had built, my real estate portfolio, my family, my self-esteem, my business, everything collapsed in a very short period of time. And, you know, as my therapist said, well, who are you? I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm nobody. Like, well, you're somebody. Because uh, most men identify who they are with what they do. And here I was with nothing to do. Especially if you're telling everybody too and publicizing it and like, you know, saying how amazing you are. Stuff. Yeah, that's that part. I, I mean, during this nine months or so, I, I wouldn't talk to anybody. A couple things pulled me out. My, my ex-wife came and took the gun away, so I, I gave her credit for that. But I still had a car, you know, and the, the telephone poles look attractive and things like that. I was a big reader, right? I love books. And I read, you know, Zig Ziglar, Dale Carnegie, all these things. I had my heroes. Yeah. And when I'm in my, in my depression, I'm rereading them, trying to get back out of my funk. I'm like, what's going on? And I read this stuff. At that point in my life, a different person was reading it because I didn't like these guys. You're full of crap. Forget it. Liar. Don't like you anymore. And I'm driving on the road one day, putting CDs in, right? And this is before MB3. Putting CDs in, trying to get myself back on the horse. I popped in one CD and within like six seconds, nine months of clinical depression, gone. Like, who is this guy? And right when I went to pop the CD out, oh, I recognized his voice. Guess who it was? Who had the power? Tony Robbins. Who had the power? <laughs> who has the power? to snap me out of nine months of clinical depression. Yourself? <laughs> the guy in the CD was me. Perfect. It was my goal setting CD. I give it to my students because I had a real estate investment academy. And I actually popped in one of my own CDs. I'm like, oh, this guy makes a lot of sense. I, I feel better. Oh God, it's me. <laughs> and from then I- It's I, probably a good thing though. It was a great thing. I, I From that point forward, fear and, and low self-loathing had given way to hope and something better. Yeah, it's almost like time traveling to yourself. Exactly. Message. I time travel. I went from, you know, riches to rags and then I'm back again. So not rags to riches. Well, I did that too, but that was a longer, you know, just buying real estate. <laughs> so yeah, reconnecting with reconnecting with my successful past is what it took. And uh, from that, I, I developed a product around that where you program yourself to look into the future, but that's a, that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Well, so but uh, related to that, though, so you found a CD of your old successful self talking about how great you are, maybe, or just talking about real estate. No, it was a it was a goal setting CD, very basic SWAT stuff. You know, it was the very basic stuff, but it was the voice. It was the intonation, the confidence. The old dog was talking really confidently and ha like I am now, not like I'm a piece of crap. You know, it was it was very confident tone, and it got right in here. Right, right here, boom. It was just a tone. A lot of times you can, you can. I know I, I do like online training and stuff. And a lot of times you don't even go back to look at it because you're like cringe at yourself or whatever it is. I mean, you've probably had to listen to yourself too many times. So it's like, well, what am I going to go listen to myself for? But then you accidentally or come upon some stuff and you're like, wow, I really, I had something going there. I am not just a total, you know, loser. And I, even the failure thing with me, uh, I didn't have to face it. I was fired from all my jobs, but no one would ever tell anybody. So I wouldn't have to publicly face anything besides what I wanted to spin it as, you know, because corporate politics and stuff, they they like to sweep things under the rug. You, you know, pretend like everything's cool. They'll say that you worked there for a certain time, a certain amount, but not say anything about it. So I could spin it in an interview to whatever kind of story I wanted to tell. And then I was yeah. like, well, once the fifth time I got fired, I was like, okay, well, 
I got to either own this or start doing something to get past this because it's not going to get any better by me avoiding the subject or whatever. So then I kind of went fully into it. And now I'm trying to figure out, well, you know, what what can we do? So you're saying future based is, is where you're going. What can we do in the future, but build upon the the things that worked in the past in terms of I learn most from my failures and the things that I did wrong and like how to put that into action to do something good. And so it seems like you're set, you're even saying that your old self was a pathway to, to seeing at least that maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you still have that old Doug inside. It certainly worked in my case. And, and the re- the product I created out of this, though, it did, it, I had to flip it upside down because most people are on the beginning of that journey. I wasn't lo- interested in recovering millionaires who've become broke like me. I was more interested in helping people who are struggling and how they could become more successful. So I developed an interactive book out of this event of my life. And it was it's, it's a pretty cool thing. It's, it's, it got shelved because somebody else uh, gave me a better idea to actually create books for people. You know, Chet Holmes? You know, uh, I don't think I've heard of him, no. Chet Holmes was Tony Robbins' first trainer. I'm thinking of Tony, actually. He helped train his first sales team. And I, um, I'll just tell you briefly what this product was. I, uh, Yeah, and interactive how. I'm curious how, how you would interact. Yeah. Imagine going to a web page. This is, this is not online right now, so I didn't want to talk about it, but it's, it's got a cool story. Yeah. You go on a web page, answer a question about your personality, your goals, upload your picture, tell a brief, you know, it's like a five question form. Hit, click, send, boom. In the mail, 10 days later, comes a book. And this book has your picture on it. It has your biography on it. It's written in your own personality because I capture personality. And it's a 30-day action plan to achieve your goals. And the book arrives, the same day your book arrives, your phone goes off with a text message saying, hey, fatty, drink a glass of water before lunch today, if that's your personality. Or you can do it, believe in yourself, have a glass of water before lunch. So another personality was they had a interactive book and a text message and also a a voicemail from the future saying, hey, it's 2023. Congratulations on dropping those 20 pounds. You're on a beach in Hawaii with your shirt off. You know, it's so I, I created this this ecosystem of believability that was customized to the person's personality and goals. And I test this thing with Rotary, with New York Life Insurance. They all loved it. And I had a friend who knew Chet Holmes. Chet looked at the singles. What do I want with a nine, $97 product? Why don't you just write full size books and charge 20 grand, Doug? I'm like, Hundred dollars, twenty. Okay, we'll do this. <laughs> so, my friend, we still, now we're charged, you know, thirty or something. But it's um, I got into helping people craft their stories and publish them inside their ecosystem of business. We just do nonfiction books or owners who want to uh, further a message, a cause, or build a practice up, whatever it is. What do you think most people are struggle with? I I think from my perspective at least is getting past your own self to realize that you have things worth saying, but I don't know if you find it. I don't even know what these personality types would be that you matched up, Yeah. but I'm more of the type that needs to convince myself that something's a good idea. So I think, you know, kind of the same idea you're saying, it was like trick myself to get myself to believe in whatever the thing is. And, and who knows what, how do you do yeah. that? You know, in the book I wrote the surrounding the software, I, I made this diagram called the bar method, B-A-R, belief, action, and results. And it's not a linear, it's a circular reference because the more you believe, the more action you'll take, the more action you take, the more results you'll have. And that result reinforces a belief. So you gotta have all three. And the hardest thing is where do you start? 
Some people, personality-wise, will start with belief. I can do it. Affirmation. Some people's like, just get going, some action, and get some results, right? Yep. Some people, because you can't really start with results. So it's either belief or action. So whatever you do, I'm always like, just take some action. You'll get some result, negative or positive. It'll spin you up or spin you down, but at least you'll have some data to measure and change with. So I'm a big believer in fire ready aim. Just do something and see what happens. Yeah, no, I think a lot of times people, it's hard to create things from nothing, but if you create anything, you will start criticizing it, whittling it into something better. If you have the right mindset of this is a journey and not a destination, right? If I create a really horrible landing page and people like laugh at or it's stupid, okay, how would you make it better? Give me your feedback, do a poll. I would do this, this, okay, let me try that. And people get so, it's funny, think about this. There are like, you know, 7 billion people on the planet and you're embarrassed to have 10 people criticize your stuff who after they criticize it are going to forget all about you anyway. You're yep. gone. You're a, you're a, you're a footnote in the, in the angles of history, like pff, million years ago. But why are we afraid of something which is fleeting? It's gone. It's not permanent. It's the internet. I think it's uh, confirming our own beliefs about ourselves. Like kind of, at least uh, they we're worried that we'll find out something that it's all made we, up. We, yeah. I mean, I agree. All made up. Yeah. I mean, there's literally no way to do it without getting feedback for, I mean, there's no way to do it without putting it out there for sure. Yep. No, no, it's impossible. You know, it's a paralysis of analysis, right? If you wait too long, you'll never get it done. You'll die. Yeah. Or even just people who are embarrassed about things to your point, like usually no one's thinking about that again in the future. You might relive it a million times the time you fell in front of everybody, but most people you're just an extra, like you're saying in the background, uh, playing, you know, a bit part yeah. that no one really even knew you got paid for. There's a, a very famous quote. I forgot who to attribute it to. So I'll, I'll attribute it to nobody right now, but um, <laughs> we'd be a lot less worried about what other people think about us. If you realize how seldom they do. Yeah. Well, they're all obviously thinking about themselves too, because everyone is you're operating from within a person. Yeah. What's in it for me? Yeah. It's important. And it's important to appeal to that in things you do. Right. So when I talk to my clients about their book and their brand, their positioning, I say, well, who are your clients? Let's put, let's feature them on your website. Forget about you. No one cares about you. They care about themselves. And if you want them to project themselves into your business, put your other clients on your webpage. Don't put stock photos. Don't tell me how great you are. Nobody cares about you. They care about what you can do for them. What, what is it that you do? So you convince or not convince people, you try to usher people's books into the world in some way, yeah. I imagine. You don't push them towards real estate. It sounds like you you might still do that separately yourself but you're really trying to convince people that they have something worth saying and then bring it to the world. Is that what you'd say? I have a, a lot of successful people. These are um, multimillionaires. I had a couple of billionaire clients too, and they've got great stories, great things. And they know that someday they're going to be dead and they want to get this message out there. It's a legacy thing. It's really personal. They rarely say it, but that's what it is. And so when I hear their story and I'm talking, I'm like, Oh my God, you could impact so many people. You can make a difference in the world. Don't squander this opportunity. And unfortunately, most of them do. They just have the fear and doubt of, ah, I'm too busy. I don't need it. I don't think it's good enough. I've heard that story before. You're right. I got people who say, oh, I've got, I'm the, uh, you know, I'm the Tony Robbins for the, for the black female, whatever, whatever they say. Like, Why don't you just be you? Okay. Don't worry about comparing yourself to some other influencer. Just be the best you can be and share your story. And yeah, our company has, Journalists, ghostwriters, editors, proofers, we make it sing. We 
make their stories compelling, page turners. Even though they're nonfiction, they've got to have a story-based theme to pull people through to want to buy their stuff or hire them as a consultant or whatever it is. Do you think, uh, especially for rich people, I know people who have money and have achieved things, they start looking towards, well, what's my legacy going to be? What am I going to leave behind? Would you say it's important for anybody, regardless of uh, wealth level, to put your story out there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, more so because there's a lot more of us than them, right? Yeah. There's a, there's this, you know who Glenn Morshower is? He he played he played the uh, he's he's been in more military movies. He's never have no military background. He's got a great southern accent. He's been in Transformers and uh, the the TV show Twenty Four. He was a, a character in that. Oh, then I probably know him for sure. Our guy, right? Texas. I think I have the season one over here sitting right yeah. there. Look, look up Glenn Morshower, and I, I he's also a great like inspirational speaker. And he had this great talk once about people's value and their worth. He says, "Do you realize that you've already won the lottery?" Huh? What are you talking about? I said, six million sperm tried to get that egg and you won. You have a better chance of winning a lottery than being born. So don't think that is not some kind of miracle because it technically is. Yeah. And I'll never forget him talking about that. Going, oh my, because I, I do a lot of youth volunteer work for uh, youth uh, counseling. And these kids are beat up and compared to, and the stories are horrible. I'm like, no, you're a miracle. You're an absolute miracle. You're here is not an accident and not to get so woo-woo or anything, but my gosh, you have tremendous value. Whether you impact 10 people or 10,000 makes not a difference because everybody can in some way or format if you look for it. Unfortunately, if you don't look for it, you get trapped in the media, comparison, negative news. Ugh, yeah, I don't, I don't go there. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from Richard Dawkins and I won't say the whole thing because it's uh uh, super long and I don't have it memorized, but he definitely talks about the fact that we kind of, there are many people who could have been born in our place. I, if any of those other sperm had gotten there, potentially, you know, scientists greater than Newton and stuff like that. But we are the ones here in our ordinariness and everything that yeah. we should be happy just to be here. And the fact that we're still alive is also uh, super interesting because you and I are now talking, we can't do that forever. Yeah. And I, I just, I love it. Interesting. We can an, an atheist, and you can all, we can all agree on the miracle thing, right? Because I read, I read Dawkins' book, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's a brilliant guy, yeah. It's, well, it's crazy because yeah. he says, like, you know, the, the set of possible people based on our DNA, the, the, yeah. the combinations you can make, would make things much more interesting than us, for sure. And the fact that we're here and, and doing it. And, I mean, I am amazed that I'm talking into a box that transports me to you. It's insane. Yeah, do you know where I am right now? I don't, but it looks amazing. I mean, it looks like you're in a hotel room? I'm in a hotel room. I'm in a hotel room in Brazil. Brazil? Yeah. How's that going? I've never been there. I've I so I do love traveling, but I hate flying, so I have this weird oh, kind of uh, <laughs> difficulty getting places. But uh but I have always yeah. wanted to check out Brazil. What are you doing down there? Some kind of Oh my god. I've been here for 6 months. It's a beautiful country. Love the people. Love the food. Unfortunately, the capoeiras don't like me. It's a really great uh, drink they have here. Oh yeah, it's lovely. I I I got to come back here. It's, I love it. That's good. I, I, I've only heard good things, at least from, from the things that I look at. It's a huge country, though. Yeah, massive. I imagine there's concentrations of all sorts of varieties of life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been to about four or five different areas. It's, 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 like, it's like the United States in terms of diversity, right? There's areas where I went to Gramado, where it's like, you know, I feel like I'm in a Bavarian village in Germany. It's a lot of Germans settled there. Mm -hmm. Or in Rio, where it's like, hey, it's Samba time. We're going to you know, party it up. So depending on where you go, it's different different. Uh, variations of the culture. 
Now you're, so we, we are talking through a, a box and whatever I just said about that. You've lasted through a lot of, you've seen technology evolve. I mean, I, when I got involved with, you know, the internet, I'm 36. So I think in fifth grade, we had AOL started coming in. You, you know, you probably saw some of the birth of, of things like that. The birth of a digital phone, my friend. And the cellular <laughs> yeah. phone. Wow. Look at this thing. I had a bag phone. Yeah. 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 It's insane. I remember having a pager. And my mom would page me and I'd, whatever, 911, I'd have to call her back right away. But is there something that you've seen that has lasted throughout all these technology cycles and everything? Just advice you'd give to anybody, regardless of, you know, when they are existing or what things will happen in the future with technology? Is there things that you've found that are kind of timeless? Oh, my gosh. It's a multifaceted question. Take it anywhere you want. Three things come to mind. Number one. If anybody is anybody's looking for a, a new career or a place to go, it's going to be AI machine learning. I have a couple of clients in that space. I had a great conversation with the chief data scientist at Intel and the amount of opportunity in that industry. They don't even have job descriptions for about 250 jobs that need to get filled now mm-hmm. in that space. hundreds of thousands of jobs are available in that space. So anybody with college age kids or want a new career change, look in that field. You don't have to be a computer scientist, but you need to look in that field. There's, it's unlim- It's going to be huge, and I'm not, I used to be scared about it, right? Because I don't know Terminator, but um, it's big opportunity. What's unchanged throughout the generations or the decades that have been around is um, the core needs of people. Psych- psychology, right? I, I'm a big studier, studier. I'm a big student, not good, not a good student, but a great student. <laughs> Of not English, but of psychology, <laughs> psychology, what drives people, motivates people, how, how to engage with people at a human level, even in this, this two dimensional thing we're on right now, it's really important to listen to what people are asking and not have an agenda. The biggest thing now, the bad side to all this social media mm-hmm. is we don't have conversations anymore. We have sound bites and Everything is designed to divide us and make us angry. So they, so we click more and go back and get a like, or, you know, so they sell more ads when we're, when we're angry and I can't stand that. So I'm a big fan of getting out and going to a coffee shop and meeting people in, in real life because at the core we're humans have are unchanged for thousands of years. So that's, what's going to remain no matter how much technology shifts and our robot becomes our, our best friend. We're still going to have a personality hopefully. And, need to engage with that. Yeah, I think it'll also swing back and forth because I know myself, so a huge fan of technology, but now I find myself going like, well, okay, uh, if I'm thinking about something, I can either Google it and get the instant result and immediate answer, or I can just think and wonder about it. And I'm trying to do the more think and wonder part because that's what you used to do. You just, you would want, instead of getting the immediate answer, maybe think through some things and same kind of thing with meeting people or talking to people it'll swing back or at least personally, I'd rather have more interpersonal uh, relationships, at least at the moment than uh, online, because it's, you just get, you dry up without, without one or the other. I mean, you get too much of one thing. And I feel like uh, no matter what networking is always going to be talking to people. I hope who knows with the AI thing. And I know I like what you're saying about AI. I love that. Also people don't know what it is that much Mm -hmm. either. So we've been people who are asking for, like you're saying with no job description, what mm-hmm. are you asking people to do? And they might not even know. What's your understanding? Can you give me at least your understanding of what AI is based on the fact that you just mentioned it? Because what I understand it as 
is basically a decision tree of where things could go. And then it, you know, filling out that tree. And I don't know if it's anything like that or, or how the machine learns. It's going to go way beyond that. Remember your, your AOL days or dial up. Right. And how, that, how long did it take us to get to high speed internet? Right. Well, that was pretty fast. That's like what, I don't know, 10 years like that. And then what happened? All the blockbusters went out of business because now we can stream video. Right. So was that Moore's law where things just happen faster and faster and faster. So when I talk about AI and machine learning right now, it's, I can't stand talking to some chat bot. I'm like, Oh, come on. I can't see your chat bot. Be quiet. Give me a human being. But within a few years, that will be as smart, if not more intuitive than human being. Here's some examples. They are working on diagnosis for medical conditions, right? And a doctor has got a pretty good sized brain, but they're generally a specialist in one area and they could diagnose our illnesses pretty darn well. But the AI machine learning of diagnosis will eclipse any doctor because they're able to access all the medical knowledge on the planet on this. And with a scanner, just like a Star Trek, it's, it's the, um, the Qualcomm prize, right? The X prize, that's what they, they won that just a few years ago. They developed the tricorder. It's a real thing. It's only going to get better. So instead of like, uh, instead of asking for a representative, you'll be yelling for a robot. Give me the robot because <laughs> they'll do a better job. <laughs> My dad had a, uh, um, a blockage in a carotid artery just three years ago. And he's 94 at the time. Oh my God, get him into the hospital, 92. We get in there, had a surgery. He's in intensive care. I got to wait to go in and see him. I go in intensive care. The nurse says, well, here's your thing. Here's theirs. And if you need a doctor, push this button. Is he going to come in? No, he'll be there on the TV. In intensive care. They had, at the Cleveland Clinic, intensive care, you see a doctor on a television set. Now, today. What was your immediate thoughts there? What was your reaction? No, I don't want, I don't want this. I want, I want the doctor on call. I don't care if he's a, a five-year resident. I want a human being here. But, you know, they're, they, they, they know what they're doing, I guess. They, you know, they've tested this stuff out. And uh, I don't know. So, yeah. So, that, 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 the, the AI of today, the chatbots, the irritating things we see is dial-up. And if you've ever started, like, quantum computing and stuff, how it's like, it eclipses current computing by a thousandfold. It's going to be so fast, so amazing. They're worried about the whole, you know, our science fiction movies, right? Ben, the uh, yeah. Terminator of consciousness taking over, you know? What do you think are the, the industries that are least susceptible to AI or at least will always be humans? Wow. I, I'd love to be able to predict that. I, I keep thinking art, um, uh, teaching, writing. Isn't it weird that, so like, what, well, just what you said with the art, Knowing if it's a ro knowing that it's a robot or not knowing it's a robot is something it would be hard to know. But when you do know that it's fictional, then it loses, at least in my mind, it loses credibility. Exactly. Once you don't know, great. Could be it could be good. Yeah. And yeah, well, I guess like performance, right? I mean, they're oh my god, no, that's too. Wow, I don't I don't know. I, I keep thinking that writing can't make it, but I'm I'm I've watched some programs that get pretty darn close to writing. But since it's a decision tree right now, it's not aware. It's only making left, right, binary decisions. When it eclipses that and can actually start thinking like we game over. Yeah, because right now, every wherever it is in its spot, some human put that little split there, right? Exactly. But at some point, it'll start telling itself where to split things or whatever. That's machine learning, right? It's AI is only 
you got to combine it with the machine learning where it learns yeah. to not have to, it'll anticipate that move. And quicker than we can, because we just, it'll do more cycles of whatever calculation and stuff. We just can't, right. uh, yeah. we're not efficient. Uh, no, human being. You know, IBM Watson beating chess champions. That's just the beginning. So it's maybe the things that w- that want inefficiency would be the last bastions or the things that need that wiggle room of, of human error. All right. So one of my clients is um, the most famous person that no one's heard about. He worked at NASA. He invented GPS. Oh, wow. Pretty smart guy. 15 patents. Brilliant guy. He owns a lot. He started stamps.com. He's just super smart. And we talked about his book about the big future trends that I wanted to know about. And it was, you know, robotics, cloud, and AI. And we had a call with him just the other day about what's going on in the industries and how things are going to be affected by all this stuff. He said within five years, 90% of truck drivers will be out of work. Within five years, truck drivers will be out of work because everything will be delivered by autonomous vehicles. Now take that to the next. Sorry, I have Go ahead. heard the trucking industry is one of the ones that will be first kind of replaced by robotic, uh, whatever. We're, we're, don't just let's go the trickle down here. It's not just trucks, right? Once that happens, they've already had truck go coast to coast a year ago without a hitch, right? There, there's oh, what about the accents? No, they've already done that. There's some some cities right now that have their geofenced where not Uber, I think Lyft has automated drop up pickup for human beings, right? So. That's going to reduce the total amount of cars in our country, not in five years, but in, within a generation, surely, where there'll be a lot less pollution, a lot less parking lots. Those cars don't have to park anywhere. They're autonomous. There's no one to get off near the house. They park in some crappy little lot somewhere. Parking lots will be reused for something. Insurance companies down the sewer, oil companies down the sewer, because these will all be electric vehicles. They might not even have to park anywhere. They could be moving, depending on how efficient you are. You could have them kind of constantly moving in and out of things. But uh, what do you think is going to be the big struggle there? Or how much of it is, do we get to choose? Do we ever do we get to choose any of this? No? I guess it's going to happen regardless. Did you choose getting an MP3 player when the CDs went out? I mean, no, it's just what happens. I mean, I guess I could choose to be a truck driver, but I can't cause anyone to want me. It's, and here's the one thing Americans tend to travel a lot, right? They don't understand that we are 5% of the world population, 5%. So we may think we lead, and we do lead in a lot of areas. Technology and entertainment are, are two of them. But they're already doing autonomous vehicles in other countries, just like we are. It's going to happen. I'm looking at, you know, battery companies to invest in and certain things like that. But it's going to be, it's going to be very, very disruptive. But there's always a seed of benefit. There's be new opportunities for redevelopment of parking lots for um you know for less pollution less mis- less they talked about in the one video i watched how much it's going to impact the medical industry cuz they they tabulate how many people are injured in car accidents oh and the rate of accidents of human beings in autonomous vehicles is like 100 to 1 sure there's fender benders and there's not immune from it but the amount of people getting killed and maimed in car accidents is a quarter million a year or something it's huge that will come down a lot as autonomous vehicles become the standard thing Good though, because you're trading a one problem for a new, like, you know, they have more bandwidth to handle other things that hopefully require more of their attention, but they might not even be a doctor. It might be a robot also there that, you know, at some point it's robots all the way down, but we are the people, right? <laughs> we are the, we are the things it serves without us. There's nothing to provide value to maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go down the, the matrix here on that one, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, so I, I think it's interesting because the, the even the trucking one, I know I recently just wrecked my car 
And if part of it was due to traveling too much sleep deprivation. And I know that I shouldn't have been, you know, doing certain things. Truckers, they don't have an option usually. And it, now with the threat of robotics taking over, they've got to start figuring out how they can be more useful in other ways. And hopefully it'll level up everybody. I don't know how, I don't know how it'll work, but I, I cannot imagine a way in which we don't try to use this additional manpower that we free up to hopefully do better things. I don't know what those would be, but I, I hope we don't just start self-serving those industries. That's the, that's the dream. Um, the biggest challenge, according to my, my client, is low-level jobs are going to be going less and less of those, right? You look at the restaurant server industry, at fast food chains, those will be automated, driving. A lot of these lower-level jobs, some people see them as careers. I look at them as entry-level. If you make them careers, well, your career is going to go away. So lower-level, entry-level jobs, if we, if we position those in our brains and our culture as is this temporary, then we could be okay, but we have to have a more educated populace to, you know, to breed more engineers and designers because the low level, entry level manual stuff, I mean, the 3D printing houses too. I mean, it's a lot of things are gonna change. Yeah, so either what's the new, what what is the new low level area or what do people do to make themselves start at a higher level or, or get to the next thing? And I think, uh, well, the, the beautiful thing is no matter what, like uh, a book to your, to what you do, a book can be written by anyone and there's no real barrier to entry besides a pen and a notebook at the worst case version of that. Right. And, you know, anyone can, can write a book. Not anyone can, you know, write a computer program or something because of either their lack of ability to want to or whatever. I think, you know, you could probably teach most people how to do most things, but a lot of people get in their own way. Is there a, is there something specific you'd want to say to people who are thinking about writing a book, also hearing everything for some reason, we randomly talk about doom and gloom uh, AI stuff, which I love, you know, but uh, is there, is there something you'd want to tell people about getting the story out and how important it is? Right. Um, back to our earlier part of the conversation. Yeah. Everyone is, has, has more value than they, than they know, right? They, there's, you're here for a reason. And I don't know what the reason is, and you may or may not know what it is, but until you try and start, you'll never find it by accident. And you might find it by accident, but you're much better off by being in motion. And whether you're journaling or think about publishing a book, um, I've got some great resources for people to help with that. And it goes internal. It's like, why do you want to write a book? What can you say that hasn't been said? Tough one. Who is your audience? What problem can you solve? There's a bunch of questions we ask. I've got this... Uh, there's intake form. People can have it if they want to go to a, uh, can I give you the domain? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's go, G-O dot realbestseller.com. You go there and fill this thing out. I personally look at these for my people who fill it out. And I give you an assessment on where you might consider going with your message, your story, with whatever you're thinking about. You don't have to change the world like Elon Musk. When I first got online in 98, I saw a person make $80,000 a year selling tumbleweeds online. I love it. So is your story unique? Your story is unique. Is it like everybody else's story? Probably, because nothing, nothing new. We've all had challenges and failures, right? But your perspective on it is unique, and some people resonate more with you than somebody else. So your story is important, and what you do with it is even more so. Like if you use it to help the world out, you're going to be rewarded. It's just laws of nature. So yeah, you could 
Definitely do. I think it's super important for people when they're doing anything to think about how they're hopefully helping other people, not just helping themselves. Yeah. And uh, so I, I worked in finance and accounting for like 15 years. I'm pretty much done with it. But uh, but it's tough when you're just watching rich people trade money all day versus when your thing has a real impact. Like if I was looking at a spreadsheet and there was a real life product, at least behind the thing versus, you know, yeah. uh, just people making money. There's at least a tangible result. And I hope when people, if they're thinking about writing a book, would think, well, what am I bringing to the table? What, how am I going to help people? And how is my story going to give someone a new perspective or a new way of thinking, hopefully to make things better? It's not, it's not rocket science. You want to make a million dollars? Solve a million problems. It's probably the same problem for a million people, but everyone's got them. So it's not, it's not difficult. It just it takes a little bit of conviction and, and, and perseverance. Let's go, let's do it. And, uh, writing a book. Is Sorry, there's so few people doing it too. I mean, I'm sure there are more nowadays, uh, just the fact that there's more people in the world, but, uh, but still there's such a small proportion of people who, have, well, even if they start, we'll go through and finish anything, put something out into the world. So I think even if you get there, you are a success just by even getting something out there. For sure. 84% of people think about writing a book, less than 1% ever do it. Uh, book volume as, as it coming out though is up like a hundred percent the past four years. It's like I read somewhere yesterday with a 2.2 million books coming out last year, worldwide, um, about about a million from the U.S. So it's a lot of other books out there, but that's okay because your story matters and positioning it to the right audience is all you need to do. And maybe maybe it's not a book, maybe it's a, maybe it's a blog post, maybe it's a video, but communicating your story with intention to serve is gonna benefit you in the long run for sure. What's your favorite genre of book? Ooh, I'm a guy, I like action stuff. Is there a thing you go back to keep going? I, I know I'm a nonfiction guy for sure. I can't I can't do fiction that much, I'm not sure why. I tend to stro- like do a little bit more of the learning. I wanna learn something, you know? So yeah. I tend to go for more like really dry stuff, but it, hopefully Dan, <laughs> Hopefully it's Dan Stubb and like, you know, shrouded in, in like you're saying, a story and a context. But I do want to learn something. Yeah. I'm gonna, if I'm going to put so much time into something, I want to learn it. But I also want to figure out how to enjoy fiction more. Is there something you send, tend to stray toward? Yeah, I, I, do, a bit, I do a bit of both. I, I tend to, to lean more towards nonfiction like you. But when I, my head gets filled up and I can't take it anymore, I got to go fiction. Because I need that story, that context to give me some breathing headspace. Which is why I really enjoy books like Malcolm Gladwell's books, which are 90% story with 10% making you think questions. They're brilliantly crafted. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people try to copy his style. And I'm reading them, I'm reading them as well. But uh, fiction books, I mean, if you like, you know, James Bond movies, go read a Clive Cussler book. His his thing is just brilliant. I just, I just, I've, I've read them all. They're just great fiction stories. And if you're gonna write nonfiction, reading fiction helps. Because you learn about character development, storylines, making things a page turner is tough in a nonfiction book. 54% of books that are purchased are never even opened. Of those that are opened, half are never finished because people you know, either have a great cover or don't know how to write. So do both. Yeah. Make it a page turner. And you can do that with a nonfiction book by like Gladwell. He drops breadcrumbs and doesn't answer them right away. You got to keep reading to get to the, yeah. the answer. Create tension and resolve it, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Be a storyteller. I mean, it's really important to develop that kind of thing if you're going to go into the storytelling business. 
Remember, stories stories predate language. My gosh, there's you know cave drawings before language. So stories are integral to our DNA and to our way of learning and communicating. Yeah, even if it just helps you at parties, at least you're a more interesting person to be around. You know, even if you don't exactly. write a book. Yeah, <laughs> take a more chick. Yeah, have a good, good, good person at party. Absolutely. <laughs> Being a guest on the show, you get something that I call a get out of fail free card, which if so, me personally, I would probably use it for stand-up comedy because of how much failure is involved in that. But if there's a career or a hobby or an interest or something you would pursue, but don't because of the amount of failure involved, is there something you'd use to get out of fail-free card to, to use for that purpose? Yeah, learning a language. Oh, that's a good one. I've only got the one under my belt. Yeah. I've been here in Brazil six months, and uh, I've learned about five words in Portuguese. I probably should have learned more, but I just didn't get into it. It can be hard because I, I took six years of Spanish and I just lived with a, a few Spanish roommates and I still can't mentally get through some of the things. Either the either it's too fast or or uh, I'm not paying attention of, I, or I don't have the, the right. Who knows what it is, but but it's a tough thing. I, I think it's a good use. It's the immersion. You got to be immersed. You got to be immersed in it and concentrate because our brains are, you know, if, he, if there, I, I read a, a story about language learning at the infant level, like when you're like three months old, not even speaking up, but they're recognizing the nuances of sounds and accents at a very early age. And when your brain's that spongy, man, if you got young kids, get a get an au pair or a nanny with a, you know, get multilingual right away. It's harder when we're older. Oh, I'm sure it gets harder, you know, because to your point, me and you both did it at one point. We figured it out. We learned English. I mean, maybe not the best version. <laughs> based on, <laughs> no, I you know, so funny. But yeah, I, I think uh, best thing besides starting when you're a kid would probably be to start as soon as possible because you just probably lose more time as, as time goes on, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You're, I, I'm not, I don't know the science behind it, but I can imagine that your brain, you know, gets uh, the synaptic connections get sort of hardwired for English. And to learn a new language, you've got to start over. But your infant mind is, you know, deep. It's recessed deep in your brain. You got to go down there and do some rewiring. So it's not easy. Some people seem to be more easily adapted to it you know yeah and and like your first language you start thinking in it and then once you're thinking in it you're kind of kind of on that path i don't know how uh bilingual people do it in terms of what language they think in but i can only imagine that the more time you spend thinking in one language you're gonna have trouble shifting over we had an exchange student live with us in iceland once and she woke up um, after about three months all excited she said i have my first dream in english that's awesome. So that was a, that was a point. She actually had a dream in English. So it was like, oh, you're fluent now. Yeah, yeah that's great. And uh, what you said about purchasing a book and never opening it. I love audiobooks. So a lot of times I'll buy the book, the physical book, but I won't actually touch it because I can't I can't get myself to read. Uh, my ADD is too much that I cannot like physically read through it. I got to have someone read it to me. But I can when it's an audio book, I can definitely immerse myself in it yeah. just because I'll read a paragraph. And by the time I'm done with the paragraph, I don't know anything because I was thinking the whole time. Yeah. But when yeah. someone's talking to me and, and doing it, I can, I can, uh, I can listen to it. Do you encourage people to, after they're done writing a book, think about an audiobook version? Oh, absolutely. The podcast world is, t- is firmly entrenched now. Um, audiobooks have double digit growth rates the past three years, whereas print and Kindle books are like flat to slightly declining. So Anybody who creates a book now definitely should have, uh, look into getting an audio version of their book done. The revenues are a little better because audiobooks are a little more expensive. Plus, like you, and I, I love audiobooks. My problem is if it's a really good one, I end up buying the, the print or Kindle version also. 
so I could take notes, which from a marketing standpoint, think about that. I'm not alone on that. So if you do an audio book, you'll make incremental sales on the same product in multiple formats. Same here, because I yeah. would buy it mostly to give to somebody at some point if I thought it was a good yeah. book and say, hey, you should yeah. read this. I don't know how to read, basically, but <laughs> here's a book <laughs> that I has not been opened even. Nice. That's awesome. And I, I think it's it's great to kind of with the language thing, you know, you can put a lot of additional nuance to writing and bring it to life with an audiobook. I know there's some certainly that aren't aren't as good to listen to because of whoever the narrator is, or at least I've struggled occasionally, but usually it's always made it more interesting to me rather than last, or at least, uh, you know, they do a good job with it. Gladwell's last book, Talking with Strangers, he used some of the actual interviews in his book. So it was, it was better than theater of the mind. He was actually putting the players in the scenes with their actual audio, with their actual voices stuff. Yeah, a couple of actors had to recreate some of them, but he had actual interviews with people and he played the interviews in his audiobook. So it was really fascinating. Yeah, I, I listened to that one. I love that one. And uh, I like most of his books. And I think it's it's a great way of, of mixing the nonfiction with that still story, you know, the storyline. So one thing I'm going to just bail on that topic for a second, because I want to talk about the hero arc for two seconds. Ah. Once I found out that that was a thing, like, you know, whether it's Star Wars or whatever, the, the one they use as an example for, you know, he goes down, he has this moment of wondering, and then he gets brought back. Then I was done with hero movies, or at least like superhero comic book movies. I couldn't, because I knew what, I knew like some of the, what was coming. I couldn't get past it. Right. What do you do when you get so deep into seeing behind the scenes of how a book gets made? Does it ruin anything for you or anything like that? Or does it only add more depth? It's worse with movies because I my background's in, in video and film. So when I'm watching movies sometimes, now it's it's gotten better lately, but 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, that's a that's a special effect. Oh God, you know, it just I my suspension of disbelief just plummeted, right? Yeah. Nowadays with the great CGI, I'm like, how do they do that? It's like that was not even real. But um the story arc never bothers me. I'm always pleasantly surprised when they, they go off script, of course. But that hero's journey thing is again entrenched in our culture from Lord of the Rings and back the Bible and on up. It's all over the place because it works. Yeah. Because it resonates with us. So it never bothers me unless the acting is bad or the script is poor. Poorly that's done, yeah. Bad production values, I can that's no good. But hero's journey, eh, it's okay. Well, you're living it, right? What part of the arc are you in? Oh my well, it's it's a it's a constant one. I don't know. I've uh I have more than one mentor that's helped me along the way. So it, it's, it's repeats itself in different, different iterations, I guess. Yeah. That's good. You can be a trilogy or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> At least my favorite movie of all time is back to the future. And I know once, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter, but I do love, I love learning more about things. Certain things I try not to learn too much because I don't want to ruin the magic behind it. Cause once you kind of see yeah. behind the curtain, it can, it can get rid of it. But I'm rarely upset when I learn something new. And I don't know, you know, what I'm going to find out next, but I do want to at least figure out what, what do you think is your next thing that you're, what's your next big venture that you're going to fail at? What's your next big thing that you're doing that you don't know what you're doing? What are you going to any things that you have no idea? Yeah, I've got a big project that I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's based on a book called Killing Marketing, and I'm going to abandon all conventional marketing uh, this year and go focus on owned media. And I'm actually having a research, my assistant doing some research on some companies have already done this. I'm not making this stuff up, 
But the example I'm going to use is Red Bull. <clears throat> Red Bull used to have little commercials on TV with cartoon guy getting wings. Yep. Have you seen those commercials lately? No. No. Um, have you seen Red Bull all over the media though, and their sports stuff, extreme sports and motorcycles and airplanes and stuff, right? Their media company makes bank. They wouldn't disclose how much because it's a privately held company, but they don't pay for marketing anymore. Their marketing makes some money. That's it. That's as far as I can go right now. I got some other things in place for that, but I'm I'm in the very beginning. It's going to take me a year to even get decent at it. Yeah. But that's the direction we're going with our companies. I'm not going to pay for marketing. I might pay for some to get started, to get ramped up. But a year from now, bring it back in the show. Yeah. And I'll, show, I'll show you what we've done. Well, that no, I can't wait to see what, what you do there because I just like putting failure on my license plate. I don't like conventional forms of marketing. That didn't actually yeah. end up doing a whole You'd be amazed. So I thought, put that on your car. Yeah. Everyone will see it. Everyone will know. And so many people didn't even read it. Like me, you know how you think people don't think about you that much? Yeah. You try to shove it in people's faces and they still don't see things. So, I, you know, it helps me to understand that, like, people aren't really paying as much attention as you think. Yeah. And they're not doing It's hard to get people to do anything. I think they look at the, the website on my bumper sticker, go there. And then when I start talking to this person, I think they know anything about me, but they haven't even read the thing because they're just in their own world or whatever. So you've got to figure out a way to market things to people that it's more interesting nowadays for sure, because they're they're getting marketed to all the time. Yeah. So I think I can't wait to see what you do with it. Yeah, I'll let you know. We'll see. I'll be I'll be feeling, I'll be feeling plenty on this in the next 12 months for sure. Well, I look forward to hearing more about it. And I know I'm failing to do a lot of things like getting these released. But uh, uh, can you tell me where, where can people go to find you? I know there's DougCrow.com. Uh, DougCrow.com is a personal branded site. But for people who are thinking about the book thing, I got a free resource for them there. So go to go.realbestseller.com and you fill out a form there. And I'll personally look at this and give you some advice or guidance on publishing or not publishing a book, depending on what you want to do with your life. Perfect. And I will make sure to put those in the show notes and, and send everybody over there. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day today. And uh, I hope you have a, lovely rest of your time in Brazil. And, uh, you know, I hope everything goes well. I know based on at least the subject of the podcast, things won't go well, but you'll hopefully learn from, you know, I love that. that's awesome. It doesn't. Yeah. Good man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over five hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook, which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, Always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.